Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. Today, we are talking about a subject that is often shied away from, but that actually hurts us. I'm talking about money. We don't like to talk about money in social work because we're all about the outcome, not the income. Not true. Not true anymore. Maybe it was true years ago, but not anymore. We are smarter and more money savvy than we have ever been. It's important to step into the uncomfortableness and get a pad of paper out because you will definitely need it for this episode. There is going to be lots of really great gems dropped about the Federal Student Loan Forgiveness Program, what you need to know before you take out your loans, and even if you already have them, what you need to know like now that we have to repay it, right? So just to give you some stats and some background about where we are in 2021, I did some research and tried to find the most up-to-date information for you. Right now, the national student loan debt in 2021, I found different sources, but it's between 28,000 and 39,000. That is the average amount of debt that people have in the United States. Bad news for you, the average MSW debt is 46,000. That's a lot more than the national average. 46,000 is the average debt that we have in America among people who have their masters in social work. So that's a whole heck of a lot of money. Even more kind of uh, not great news. So 46,000 is our average debt, 46,591 to be exact. And then the average MSW salary in 2021 is 65,511. So essentially our debt is almost as much as our expected salary, which is probably more after taxes. I'm in California, they tax you on literally everything. So those are some big numbers. And the reason why it's important to know is because your debt is going to affect your your entire life essentially. So if you ever plan on having a wedding, if you ever plan on getting a house, buying a condo, getting out of your apartment, getting out of your parents' house, living on your own, this is all going to factor into that because people who are landlords, people who are doing mortgage loans, they want to know how much money are you committed to spending every single month? And then what is left over to pay them back, right? To pay your mortgage back. So that is why this is so important because it's not even taken into consideration your other expenses like bills, car payment, credit cards, This is just your student loan. So when I was a student, I really didn't understand the importance of this or the significance that this is going to have on the next 10 years of my life. I didn't really have anyone to break it down for me and to explain. I didn't have any rich father or savvy uncle to really like explain this to me. So let me be your Aunt Kat and break it down for you because I love you, okay? So we talked about the numbers. We are going to talk about the 10%. So in this episode, we'll talk about the federal student loan forgiveness. There's a lot of stipulations with that. 
I would caution you to not be completely reliant on this because it's a 10-year program. A lot of stuff can happen in 10 years. Okay, so don't be completely reliant on this program. It's great, but just be cautious, right? So even if you're paying 10% of the average MSW salary, which is 65000 per year, 10% of an average MSW salary is still going to be $545 a month. That's a lot of money. That is a really nice car payment. That could be like a third or a half of your mortgage payment. So it's a lot of money. Even though it's 10% of your income, $500 is still a lot of money. So definitely be considerate of that. If you took out the average amount of student loan debt and you just got on the 10-year plan, assuming the interest rates are as they are right now, which is 4.3%, you're still, that's still not very good because you're still paying $486 a month. So that's also too where you can get caught up is maybe it's cheaper to pay the 10-year plan versus 10% of your income, but that will disqualify you. So let's hop into this episode definitely get a pad of paper out and there are show notes for this. So our guest was so generous that he is allowing us to access his presentation. So I'm going to put information in the show notes about how you can get the full presentation that we are talking about so that you can be fully educated on the types of loan you have or before you take out loans, what kind of loans that you need if you're planning to qualify for this program. So with that, let's hop into it. Hi, Matt. Hi there, Catherine. How are you? I'm great. Welcome to the Social Workers Rise podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. So today we are talking about the the, oh my gosh, I always mess up the name, the Federal Student Loan Forgiveness Program. It's actually the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program, I believe. Oh my gosh, see, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are right, you are right, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. But you Um, are correct, it's all, it's, it is a, it is a federal program. It's run by the Department of Education through the loan servicers. Okay, okay, great, good to know. And what is your background, Matt? So my background is uh, I am a public librarian in Massachusetts, and I'm a member of the American Federation of Teachers. Uh, and I went to an American Federation of Teachers public employees event, and there was a there was a uh, there was a, pr- a, pl- a program on public sur- on loan for on student loan debt. And so I believe I have been disconnected. No, we're still But I'm trying to reconnect. Anyway, so I I had known um, a friend of mine had had uh, a lot of and had been trying to repay her student loan debt to the best of her ability and had discovered um, that her that after 10 years of doing that, her debt was, um, you know, more than a hundred percent of what it had been. Oh my um, gosh. Get out. Exactly. So I was horrified by that. And I went to this student loan, uh, debt workshop and I learned about a program, um, called public service loan forgiveness that allows for forgiveness of principal and interest of federal student loan debt for people who work in public service. And there are a bunch of hoops that people have to jump through, uh, a bunch of things that they have to accomplish in order to achieve this. But um, at the end of 120 payments, people do receive a full write-off of whatever federal student loan debt they had accrued. Uh, or they had um, they had taken out, or they had, or however much it had grown. So um, I began. So through my so through my union, I began to do um, 
uh, clinics for teachers and for librarians. And as part of that, I began, I, 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 I decided to try and bring this work out to librarians and to social workers and to people who work in public service, but might not be aware of the provisions of this program or might not have, um, might not understand exactly how it works because it's it's a fr it's a frustrating program for a lot of people it was very 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 poorly marketed um from 2007 when it was uh launched through about 2016 when it was soon to have to pay money out <laughs> and as a result of that many 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 people made uh were not provided with the right information that they needed in order to make the choices that they would need to make in order to set themselves up for forgiveness so even so in the beginning uh so in the so 2017 through so 2018 through 2019 were the first times that the government was actually um having to forgive any debt and many, many, many people applied who had thought that they were, that they had been doing the wrong things and discovered that they had not been doing any of the right things. Mm. Um, or many people discovered that the choices that they had made, thinking that they were going to do, they were going to be doing the right things had not been the right things. So in the intervening couple of years, um, the 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 success rate of applications has gone up somewhat um, and the information that the Department of Education is making available about the program is actually a lot better than it had been in the past. But uh, so for people who are uh, newly entering the program, it's actually quite straightforward and streamlined. But for people who are still fighting through the jungle of trying to get their student loans uh, forgiven and have been doing so for seven, eight, nine, ten, thirteen years. Um, there are still a lot of quite um, significant obstacles. Right. Yeah. This is near and dear to my heart because I started college or I graduated with my bachelor's in 2009 got my master's in 2015 so a mm. lot of my peers you know we we were all talked about this program oh it's great we just work for 10 years at a nonprofit, and we'll get it forgiven but there is so much more to it than that and I have not met anyone yet to have the loan forgiven but <laughs> um, according to your research, over $400 million in loans have been forgiven. So I'm excited to unpack this. And listener, if you are feeling intimidated, don't worry. I'm not a numbers person either. Um, <laughs> we're going to get through this together. <laughs> so thank you for that background, Matt. Um, and you kind of gave, gave us like a little bit of an overview of the um, of the program. And, and I'm wondering, let's see. There's a big rumor that, that a lot of applications, well, I guess it's not a rumor, but you, like you mentioned, a lot of applications have been rejected. So what do we really need to know so that our application is accepted and our loans are forgiven? All right. So the, so that's not, it's not actually a rumor that a lot of applications have been rejected. It's a, it's a fact. Right. Uh, and there was lots of early reporting that said that like 1% of applications had been successful. And, um, and that's the, and that's, and that's true. Actually, <laughs> there's no, there's really no way to sugarcoat the fact that, um, very few of the very first sets of applications were um, accepted. Uh, so we want to be the 1%. <laughs> yeah, we want to be the 1%. That's what, that's, that's what I always, that's what I always say. I always, when I'm, when I'm talking to people, I say like lots of people have made these mistakes. And so because they have made these mistakes in the past, you do not need to make these mistakes. Um, when you are applying. So the first 
thing, the first um, thing that I think is the thing that I think is most important is to recognize that. So a lot of people have this on this belief that um, public service loan forgiveness applies to your entire balance. And that may or may not be the case because public service loan forgiveness is a part of the um, agreement that you sign with each individual loan. Mm. So for a lot of people, a lot, so a lot of people will um, assume that all of their loans are, um, are eligible for public service loan forgiveness. And a lot of people actually have um, a lot. I myself only have uh, direct loans for my graduate school education, but a lot of people who have older loans um, have a mix of um, there's an old federal, there's an old loan program called the federal family education loan program. Um, fit, uh, those older loans, those older fell loans are not eligible for public service loan forgiveness. And so many, many, many people who had those loans for 10 years assumed that they would be paid off, that they would be forgiven and then discovered that they had the wrong loan type. So those people, um, so those people made 10 years of payments or nine years of payments or five years of payments before they discovered the truth. Um, those people, those people have already made those mistakes and there's a lot better, um, screening that happens at the beginning of the process than there ever used to be. Um, so the first thing that I, the first thing that I, encourage people to do is to make certain that all of your loans are direct federal direct loans or federal direct consolidation loans. Now the, the, some, the ever, those, those, those have been the only federal loans that have been issued since I think 2012 or 2011. Um, but people who have older loans than that, people who have loans from people who have loans from their undergraduate, oftentimes they do have a mix of, fell loans and direct loans. And um, many people also do take out private loans, um, take out private loans from a bank. Um, private loans are never eligible for public service loan forgiveness. Um, fell loans are sort of a hybrid in that they are um, originated by a bank, but they're guaranteed by the Department of Education. Um, so are those loans open to everybody or are those going to be income qualifying loans? Um, those loan, uh, when you say those loans, which do you, which loans do you mean? The federal direct loans and the federal direct con consolidation loans. So, um, so there are two, so there are, so there are two, there are two, ca so that, so back to loan types, there are two types of, so federal direct loans and federal direct consolidation loans are eligible for public service loan forgiveness. Fell loans and Perkins loans, which are actually owned by the, the, the college or the university that you went to, those two, those two categories of loans, those two loan programs are, can be consolidated into federal direct loans and then those balances can become eligible. Got it. So private loans are never eligible. In terms of um, in terms of eligibility to take out loans, that's actually not a question that I know a lot about. Um, the the FAFSA is the form that people fill out to um, determine federal uh, determine their eligibility for determine how much federal aid that they're about that they can get. Um, but I know that there are um, alternative things after the FAFSA um, and that there are private, there's a private loan market out there. So people can take on um, more, more student loan debt than people can probably take on as much student loan debt as they want. Um, I, in other contexts, I often say there's a lender to who there's a lender who can work with you no matter what. Yeah. It's so true. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's always somebody who's willing to charge mm -hmm. you interest. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. And are these interest rates, since these are loans provided by the government, are do are these interest rates um, like, is there a set interest rate for them, or is it going to be different with each person, or is it different on the economy? I guess I'm I'm trying to I'm wondering like how high 
are the interest rates on these? So to the best of my knowledge, um, and I'm not an expert on this, to the best of my knowledge, the interest rate on federal student loans is set at a fixed amount, um, but that does vary based on when the loan is taken out. Okay. Uh, so people do, um, people who have, there's a business in private loan refinancing because the market can pay, the market can charge a lower, a lower amount of interest than that fixed rate that the federal government has charged. So there are people who, ta- there are people who talk about the interest rate, the interest rate on federal, on federal student loans being too high and that being something that needs to be changed. But for the purposes of public service loan forgiveness, all interest and all principal are forgiven at the end of the at the end of the period, at the end of after you make 120 payments, mm-hmm. after you make 120 qualifying payments, I should say. So, f- to my mind, the interest rate is not really um, a problem because PSLF gives you the ability to forgive all of that interest, no matter what the rate is. Okay, so let's so, talk about the repayment plans. Okay. So can you just tell us, you know, I know that there are a lot of stipulations about like once you have the right loan, then you need to make sure that your repayment is is accurate and on time. Can you go a little bit more into that? So there are so the first thing that I, the first thing that I always tell people is to make sure that they have loans that are eligible for public service loan forgiveness. And then the second thing that I always tell that the second thing that's most important for me from from my perspective is to make sure that you're in a proper repayment plan because there are lots and lots and lots of um, student loan repayment plans, but not every repayment plan qualifies for public service loan forgiveness. So there are, um, there, there had been in the past, um, this program called, uh, there had been, in, there had been since, you know, since student loans began, people have been saying, I can't afford to pay my student loan. And the, and the Department of Education and the and the banks had been saying, well, in order for you to avoid default, in order for us to avoid complete you know, loss on this loan, we can work with you, we'll be, we'll be a little bit more flexible. So there had been programs designed like that. Um, and when public service loan forgiveness was created, it was designed to work in conjunction with uh, a program called income-driven repayment. So what, um, what income-driven repayment is is a it's a set of different it's a set of plans that allow your student loan payment on a monthly basis to be based on your income rather than being just a strict reflection of exactly how much money you owe and exactly how long the loan term is so um there are uh so just like a just like if you if you were to take out a mortgage, you would pay the same amount every month on your mortgage for the 30-year term of your mortgage or the 20-year term of your mortgage or the 15-year term of the mortgage or the 40-year term of your mortgage, or you would have an adjust and you might have an adjustable rate in there that would um, that would recalculate your payments over time. But the 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 debt is structured to be repaid over time. Mm-hmm irrespective of how much money you're making. And that's how, stu- that's how classical student loan repayments are. That's how, that's how fixed loan repayments, how level, re- how level, um, level payment loan repayments are, student loan payments are. That's how the standard um, repayment plan runs for student loans. So income-driven repayment um, is designed as a way to um, give borrowers a measure of relief and lower the payment that is due every single month. And what that usually means is that certain, a certain amount of interest is, um, un, remains unpaid, but rather than it, and it, and it can balloon sometimes. Um, 
So, uh, but sorry, back to income-driven repayment. Mm-hmm. Income-driven, re- it's, it's, uh, it's critically important that people who are pursuing public service loan forgiveness be in an income-driven repayment plan. Um, there are four different income-driven repayment plans that qualify. Um, they have different names. Uh, the oldest one is called ICR, Income Contingent Repayment. Um, there's IBR, which is income-based repayment. There's a program called PAY, P-A-Y-E, pay as you earn. And then there's a program called Repay, revised pay as you earn. So those four payment plans all have different terms um, and they all have different, uh, they all have different conditions and they all have different, um, uh, they all have different, um, they all have different applicability um, and people can and people can switch from one program to the other, but they but each of the programs has their own different each of the own pro, each of the programs is independent of one another. Okay. So this is actually the very most impossibly complicated part of PSLF, and I am actually not an expert in this myself. Mm-hmm. Um, the what the thing to know is that when you apply for an income driven repayment plan, which you can do at any time. For any student, for any student loan, um, if if you're if you're a direct loan borrower, you can always apply for an income-driven repayment plan. the The most important part for my money is that there's a there's a checkbox that says, "Sign me up for the plan that has the lowest payment." <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I check that box, and the vast majority of people who check that who who do apply check that box, and the vast majority of people. Um, uh, the vast majority. Yeah. So that's, so that's the way that that's the way most people work. If you, so, so income driven repayment, income driven repayment is a condition of, uh, is a condition, a requirement, a criterion of, um, uh, making qualifying payments. What what about the mm -hmm. 10 year standard repayment? Does that count? So the, the 10 year standard repayment plan does qualify, um, and the reason that that exception was carved out was basically, so, so here's what happened for me. Um, the te- so the 10 year standard repayment plan does indeed qualify um, a payment that you make under the 10 year standard repayment plan is a qualifying payment for public service loan forgiveness. But the thing is that if you were to make 120 payments under the 10 year standard repayment plan the the way that the, the way that the payment is calculated would mean that at the end of your 100 at, after your 120th payment on the on the 10 year standard repayment plan your balance would be zero so yeah. you that's, would have there would be <laughs> there would be no money so there'd be no there'd be nothing left to forgive that's where i was and i was like wait a minute this is a total sham <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where I was, and that's where I was too for about for about six years because I did because I didn't know about the program, and even once I found out about the program, I didn't believe that I would um, that I would be eligible. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I did fill in my income driven repayment plan request, I did discover that I was saving I was saving some money um, every month, and. As, and because I, because I was teaching about, because I was, you know, because I was teaching and consciousness raising about this program, I figured that it would be a good idea for me to actually take part. Yeah. <laughs> so you actually saved money by doing the income driven repayment plan. Yes. So, okay. so in my case, I, t- I made about six years of payments under the standard plan. When I convert, when I, when I switched over to an income driven repayment plan, my payment went down. Mm, okay. Uh, Good. And that resulted in some, that resulted in some projected savings. Mm-hmm. And when I certified my employment, all of my payments that I had made under or, or the all of the payments that I had made after I after I started working for a qualifying employer, uh, all of my payments um, began to qualify. So. Um, I just recently, uh, just recently, I just in, in, I just in April made my 120th qualifying payment. 
Um, so I am uh, in the in the final forgiveness process, and I anticipate that in an indeterminate amount of time between four and six months that um, I will receive notice that um, a couple of thousand dollars has been written off of my, off of my student. Hey, hey that's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> who doesn't like, who doesn't like a couple thousand extra dollars and, right? the, th- and, the, yeah. <laughs> the, and the amazing, the amazing thing for um, the amazing thing for lots of people is that um, federal student loans um, can finance a huge amounts of, uh, of education. So there are people, there are people who have, um, there are people who have $350,000 in federal student loan debt. Um, if people who went to law school, people who went to medical school, um, people who went to vet school, people who went to OT school for, you have to run, you have to do like seven years of OT school. Mm-hmm. Even um, social workers who went to even social workers, exactly. Universities in Southern California, not naming any names. <laughs> yeah. So that, so the, so, so while my, while my student loan debt was the, the amount of loan, the, I, I, I only took out, I only took out one loan. And I took out one loan for one year of my grad school education. I was lucky enough to be able to do that. But, um, but for people who have for people who have uh, much larger debt, a much larger amount will be will be will be will be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That's- those and those stories are out there. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't per- I, I think I do I do I I'm trying to think if I actually know anyone personally who has had their debt forgiven, and I'm not certain that I do. But um, in my in my online life, I'm in contact with uh, probably th- with thousands of people, maybe, maybe a thousand, hundreds, hundred, definitely hundreds of people who have stories about how their debt was forgiven. Oh, that's great. And that number that, I, that number that I quoted to you about the $400 million, that's actually mm-hmm. directly from um, the public service loan, public service, public service loan forgiveness data file that, um, Hasn't been updated since November, but <laughs> but will <laughs> be at some point in the near future. Yeah, hopefully it's higher. I hopefully know that there higher. are. I, there, I wanted to talk about some of the caveats. So okay, because um, yes, we're all about co- the, this program is all about caveats. Yeah. <laughs> so you repay, right? Like you're making your payments. Um, as far as income driven qualifications, I thought I saw somewhere that it's going to be ten percent of your income. Is that correct? Each of the so that I mentioned before that there are there are those four different income there are those four different income driven repayment plans. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that the pay program and the IBR program for certain borrowers have a ten percent of your. Uh, they call the term of art is discretionary income. Um, it's the difference between the AGI, the adjusted gross income on your tax return and the federal poverty line uh, for your family size. So it's not 10% of your AGI, it's 10% of your, um, it's, 10, it's, it's 10% of your discretionary income. So basically what that means is if you have, um, if you have a large family, if you have a low income, those two factors are gonna determine what your discretionary income is and then based on the different programs there's actually a different percentage of that income which will be your base payment and each of the and some of the four programs have caps on the amount that you will pay some of them don't all of the programs so that so the complexity of the i the complexity of um the idr programs is really um beyond the scope of um a 10-hour podcast <laughs> right yeah, uh, yeah. there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of faqs on the uh on the studentaid.gov website that will and but but the vast majority the vast majority of people are fine to just check that box for the lowest payment mm-hmm. people okay. who uh so you asked about t- you asked about 10 percent um so uh, there is a fixed percentage of your discretionary income, which will be your base payment subject to certain caps in certain programs. Um, the, 
that's the sort of expanded version. The contracted version is that your payment is going to be based on your actual income and your family size. Okay, cool. Thank you for, for clarifying that. And then you do need to be making, I saw that you do need to be making all of your payments on time. Um, does this, so if I know when you go back to school for grad school, a lot of times your loan payments are like deferred until you're done with school. Does that mean that it's pushing that time out? So you, so if, so there's a, so payments that uh, payment. So there are a couple of different there. So if you are on an in-school deferment, if you go back to grad school and you take an in-school deferment for your undergrad loans, um, your, you will, you will not be making payments um, on your undergraduate loans while you are in graduate school. And I believe that interest will accrue on those loans while during that period that you're on in-school deferment, I believe, but I'm not hundred percent certain. Okay. If you continue to work while you are in grad school um, and you continue to work for a qualifying employer, you can continue to make payments on your undergraduate loans and you can continue to make qualifying payments on your uh, undergraduate loans. You have to uh, you have to fill in a form called an in uh, uh, an in school deferment waiver, and you can get that from uh, there's a form available from Fed Loan, which is the Public Service Loan Forgiveness uh, Loan Servicer. Um, you can also get that from your uh, from your school. So uh, the so if you choose to defer if you choose to defer your loans. Um, whether you're in school, whether you have economic hardship, whether you um, there's a limit to the there's a limit to the amount the amount of time that you can defer your loans, but there's not a limit to the amount of time that you can do an in school deferment. Okay, sounds. Does that, did that did that answer your question? Yes, yes. So it sounds like if you go back to to grad school, you're not. It doesn't sound like you have to start over or that you're disqualified. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you, you're, so you're not, um, you're not, the payments that you make don't have to be consecutive. Mm -hmm. You can, so you can make payments on, you can make payments on undergraduate loans for six years, go back to school for four years and not make any payments on those undergraduate loans. And when you return, the, when those loans return to repayment, you will begin to make additional payments on those loans. Now, the new loans that you took out in order to finance your grad school education, those loans will have their own different timeline um, because when those loans enter repayment, um, you will not have made six years of payments on those. You will have mm -hmm. made zero payments on those. Right. So many people do find that if they have, um, if they have, if they, if they have, if they have, so that many people will find that if they, um, if they return to school and they have, and they add graduate school debt, they will have two different, they'll, the, they'll have different timelines for the forgiveness of the different loans in their loan portfolio. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, if you, if you, if you think about it, if you, if you understand that public service loan forgiveness is a feature of individual loans and a count of qualifying payments towards public service loan forgiveness is a is a is an attribute of an individual loan it makes perfect sense that you know i made 6 years of payments on my undergraduate loans so i have 4 years left mm -hmm. but i also have this grad school these grad school loans and i have a 10 year time frame on those loans yes okay all right, cool. And so actually one of the, and one of the, one of the most, one of the, one of the things that's beautiful about um, income driven repayment is that um, in the past and a lot of old, a lot of people who have a lot of old loans, they have like four different loan servicers for different mm -hmm. loans. And they're making, they're making payments to Navient and to Mohila and to, um, Granite State <laughs> and to some other and to some other federal loan servicer. When 
you sign up for an income-driven repayment plan, that actually gives you one payment that will be spread across all of your loans. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. so, so there, like, I, I was actually just looking at, I was, I, I don't know why I tortured myself, but I was looking through some, some FAQs about um, interest capitalization. And I ran across this, I ran across this like set of questions that are like, I have IBR for some loans and, and I want to do pay for some other loans. You don't have to do that (laughs) anymore. If you, if you feel so for new borrowers, the process is actually really straightforward. You have direct loans. So you don't have to worry about your loans, your loans being eligible. You apply for an income driven repayment plan and you pay your loans. You make your loan payment every month and then you certify your employment and you do that on an ongoing basis. And in order to maintain your income driven payment plan, you have to recertify your income on an annual basis. So for new borrowers, the process is pretty straightforward, but for old borrowers, um, figuring out whether your loans, um, whether your loans are eligible, figuring out whether your loans can be consolidated and become eligible, figuring out whether having made nine years of payments on your loans, consolidating that's those balances and adding 10 years of payments for them is going to make any sense. All of those decisions are really kind of difficult and individual mm-hmm. and, um, you know, not impossible, but just daunting. Yeah. So before we talk about the types of employment that counts, okay, where, where do, you know, since all of these things can be so daunting and overwhelming, especially since people in this program typically aren't in the numbers industry, um, where can we go? Like, do we go to the bank? Do we contact a loan specialist? Like, where do we go to find help and guidance with our particular situation? So the best place to go is to, uh, there's, uh, the best thing to do is to just do a Google search for public service loan forgiveness and to go to the public service loan forgiveness program description on the studentaid.gov website. Um, there is a very concise description of all of the criteria that you need to follow in order to, um, in order to achieve public service loan forgiveness. One of the problems in the past had been that um, people, people normally go to their student loan, their people normally would go to their loan servicer to try and ask questions. Mm -hmm. Um, But the loan servicers um, have proven to be um, very poor communicators of accurate information about public service loan forgiveness. Um, That's not necessarily to blame them, but it's to recognize that they have an incentive to maintain their client base. And when you enter, when you, when you get serious about doing public service loan forgiveness, and when you actually begin to employ, begin to certify your employment and you begin to track where you are in the process, you must leave your existing loan servicer, whether that's Navient or whether that's Mohila or whether that's Granite State or Nelnet or Great Lakes, or you must leave them and you must go to Fed Loan Servicing. Mm. So in the past, what Navient and the other servicers have told people is don't worry about it. You can make qualifying payments and you can still pay them to us, which is true, which was true, which is true. But the difficult, the, the difficult situation that that put many, many borrowers in was that Navient, Mohila, Great Lakes, Nelnet, Granite, none of these other servicers besides FedLoan actually had accurate information about how many loan, how many, how many payments had qualified. 
So people would get um, glad handed by Navient in particular and assured that they were making progress towards public service loan forgiveness. And then they would, and then 10 years would go by and they would try to apply and they would discover much to their chagrin that the folks at Navient had never told them that they had fell loans and that they had Perkins loans and that none of their loans qualified. So, so yeah, so they're, so like this is, so they're, so Navient and all of these other, and all of these other servicers have had multiple, multiple, multiple class action lawsuits. And there are, uh, there are there, and there are, there are, pending actions against them from lots and lots of states and um my own attorney general in massachusetts just recently secured a settlement against fed loan for not properly processing and not proper not properly giving information so um so forgive me i think i've lost i've lost track of what that question actually was <laughs> no, you definitely answered it go straight to fed loan for your for your question. okay so the question the question was the question was where do you go to get information uh-huh. about about public service loan forgiveness the answer is you go to you you actually go to studentaid.gov and you read the uh, you read the the program description for public service loan forgiveness and it tells you that in order to make a qualifying payment you need to have a qualifying, you need to have an eligible loan, which is a federal direct or a federal direct consolidation loan. You need to be in an income driven repayment plan, uh, or you need to be in the 10 year standard repayment plan. Um, but if you're in the 10 year stint, the 10 year standard repayment plan, you're going to have, uh, you're not going to be, you're not going to be getting, you're not going to be maximizing your forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You also need to have, uh, you also need to work full time, for a qualifying employer that's a government employer or a 501c3 nonprofit or a very small number of other nonprofits who are in quote unquote public service lines of business. And finally, you need to make every single payment on time and in full. So um, those are the, so those are the, and those are, those are the requirements that are, out, that are laid out there at studentaid.gov. There's lots of, there's lots more detail to, there's lots more detail to go into. We've mm-hmm. discussed um, loan eligibility. We've discussed income driven repayments. And I think you wanted to move on to qualifying employers. Yeah. Which you mentioned, which is yeah. um, a schools, but the, but private ones don't count. Is that correct? So, Private schools, the vast majority of private schools, the vast majority of parochial schools, the va- <laughs> sorry, I'm from Boston. We call them parochial schools up here. <laughs> the vast majority of um, even religious schools, um, okay. but every, every uh, the vast major- the vast majority of private schools are organized are are organized for tax purposes as 501c3 nonprofits, and that makes them automatically qualifying employers. So um, the classic example that the classic example that we that that we throw out in these student loan debt clinics is, um, okay, so you work for a uh, you work for a state college. Is your is your state college a a qualifying employer? Answer is an unqualified yes, because your state college is part of your state government. And or if it's not, if it's organized in some different way, it's it's definitely organized as a as a public unit as a public university. It's definitely organized as a it's definitely organized as a nonprofit. Okay. Um, and then the second question is now let's say let's say that you work for MIT. Does your payment qualify? Mm. 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 So yeah. because <laughs> well, MIT is a five hundred one c three. Harvard is a 501c3. These entities, the vast majority of private um, secondary, elementary, secondary, um, higher education institutions, the vast majority of them are organized as 501c3 nonprofits, and the vast majority of them automatically do qualify, even um, religious schools. Um, for which there used to be a carve out exemption that you could not um, apply that you could not apply hours of work that were um, 
that were in religious education or um, or ministry, um, but I believe that that got uh, I believe that that exception was removed. I'm uh, I'm like ninety nine to one hundred percent certain that that exemption that that exemption got removed. So um, private so private schools uh, private schools do qualify. Public schools do qualify. Any level of government employment from municipal through county through state tribal federal any federal any government employment automatically qualifies any 501c3 nonprofit employment automatically qualifies some employment for not not for profit organizations which are not organized as 501c3s but are involved in public service uh, in public service activities like education law enforcement, um, you know, some, some, there's, a, there's, there's actually, uh, actually the, 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 this list of exceptions, um, takes up a huge amount of time to discuss and, um, mm. like less than 0.5% of accepted empl- of certified employment comes from those employers. Oh. There are, there are very, very few, um, carve out of, uh, carve out organizations, which are, un- which are not eligible under any circumstances, uh, labor unions and um, partisan political um, organizations are pretty much the only two that are specifically um, carved out. Okay. So, so in summary, you can work for schools, government, employers, um, and nonprofit agencies. So yes, school. Uh, so in in and in and in and so the thing that's important is the the person who is paying you the person who is writing your paycheck the mm. person who the the entity that is employing you so there are lots of uh there are lots of so the, uh, there so like if you if you work for a if you work in schools and if you are a social worker working in schools but you are contracted to work in schools through a private um agency the odds are that your employment will actually not qualify, even though you are doing the same exact job function as someone else who is a school employee in a different um, district. Ah, so, so it's so the so so pretty sneaky, pretty sneaky. Um, uh, but again, makes sense if you understand that the definition of employment that they use is employment for a for an employer mm-hmm. and so the and the status of your employer is the thing that makes the most is the thing that makes the difference so that's a good question to ask in an interview because if you don't ask it in the interview you'll get hired and then you find out um, oh shoot! It's actually a for-profit that's paying me, maybe a placement agency or something. Exactly. And then, does that mean if that happens, does that mean that you disqualify from the whole program, or can you just find an, a different job that would then requalify you again? Like, say you're in the middle of it or something. Yeah. So if so if so when you can always so the the this. Uh, the 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 mojo the 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 secret of ma- the secret of public service loan forgiveness is making qualifying payments, and um, you can always, you know, your payments don't have to be consecutive. So if you go, if you if you if the only job that you can find for six months or for a year or for three years is working for an agency working for working for working working at working placed as working placed for an agency um that's 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 a for that's a for-profit and non-qualifying employer you can you can always return to another qualifying another qualifying employer and return to making payments so it's not so yes, it is. So yes, it is a great, it is a great question to ask in an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and I tend to think that it's not at all an inappropriate question. Um, some people, uh, some people are, uh, some people seem to be reticent about asking <laughs> uh, 
if they, you know, like, and, and some people, and oftentimes because this program is not very well known, mm-hmm. um, it's sometimes hard to ask in an interview if your, if your, if your job is going to qualify you for public service loan forgiveness. Right. Yeah. So, um, just the person who you're interviewing with might not this, know the answer to that question. Yeah. I wouldn't ask this in my initial interview. Yeah, I would exactly. that, you know, when they're making the job offer, um, then you can go more into details and then you could, I would personally ask, are you, you know, is, is the company that is paying me considered a nonprofit or you probably know if it's going to be government, but especially if it's some sort of contract agency. Um, yeah. Usually, usually you're gonna know. Right. Um, and if you're, if you're interviewing for like, if you're interview if you're interviewing for a company that has a website and that website has an investor relations um, <laughs> tab on the website, mm-hmm. then you're pretty certain to know that you're dealing with a company that is a for-profit publicly traded entity. Mm-hmm. When you get into smaller things, it's a, li- it's sometimes hard. It's sometimes hard to know where the, uh, what's, you know, what's a, what's a nonprofit agency? Uh, what's a cooperative that's a nonprofit? What's a partnership? Right. Um, which does not, qual- which would not qualify. What's a sole proprietorship, which would not qualify. Right. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for your time. I really, really appreciate you and all of this information. The studentaid.gov link that you need for more information is in the show notes definitely check it out. And Matt, do you have anywhere that our listeners can, can follow you and connect with you? So I am a moderator on the public service loan forgiveness, uh, public service loan forgiveness support slash parenthesis PSLF group on Facebook. Um, And uh, I'm findable there. Um, There's also about 28,000 of us who are gathered together um, and who have asked um, just about all of the questions that could possibly be asked. There's also a great board on Reddit, which is called r slash PSLF. And there's another Facebook group that's a little bit smaller um, called uh, Librarian for PSLF, Librarians for PSLF, which is run by a friend of mine. So those are places that you can find me. Um, I... Uh, I hate LinkedIn, but I'm on there. <laughs> I don't look at it ever, <laughs> but I am on there. <laughs> yes. Okay, great. Well, yeah, we have all of those links in the show notes. Thank you so, so much. Um, you know, as, and, and then I, you did send me your written presentation. Is it okay if I send this out to our listeners, if they ask for it? So I believe that the presentation that I sent you was, specific to school librarians mm-hmm. but and and it has a couple of slides in it that are um that say something like because you're a librarian and you work in a school unless you work for a private um for-profit school you are going to qualify so just so uh, um so yeah, it's fine. It's fine to se- it's fine to send that out. It's fine to post that, um, but I might want to put together a slightly more generic version of it. And it's also, um, and that's all and that. And that's also not that's also not the not the be all and end all of right out there. Yep, definitely go to the website. You heard Matt. You can email me again. The my email is in the show notes, um, and I will send you out the updated version that Matt sends me um, because there's a lot of information that we covered, a lot of numbers, a lot of things to take into consideration for yourself and for your own personal situation. So, with that, thank you, Matt, so much. I really appreciate you. Hey, if I can do this, you can do this. Yes, we got this. Fingers crossed that you get those loans out of your hair soon. (laughs) Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. 
If this episode helped you, please help me spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share that you're listening. Tag me on social media. I love it. I will repost and reshare. I love it. Social currency is free, but it is so valuable. Also, I'd love to hear from you on Instagram. I really do respond. I really do love it when you give me your feedback. Lastly, This is not therapeutic advice or business advice or any other kind of personalized advice. To get that, you definitely need me as your coach. So please, again, reach out to me on Instagram. I can't wait till next week. I will see you then. All the love. Bye.